Welcome to Relay Chain, a podcast produced by Parity Technologies, where we discuss all things Substrates, Polkadot, and Web3. Today on Relay Chain, we have Ritao and Antonia from Laminar Protocols and Akala Network, and this will be our first remote recording of Relay Chain. Uh, so, welcome to both of you. Uh, do you want to do a quick introduction of yourselves? Uh, Ritao, you can go first. Uh, so, my name is Ritao. Thanks for getting us on the Relay Chain podcast. Um, we are a team of builders on the Substrate ecosystem. We've been building on Substrate for a very long time. One of the few first adopter on the Substrate network. We've been building two very interesting protocols, a stable coin protocol that's called Arcala Network, and also a synthetic asset trading protocol, uh, which we call it Lamina. Uh, we have a distributed team, and we are pretty much based, most of the team is based in New Zealand. And Antonia? Hi there. So my name is Antonia. Uh, first of all, I am the so-called chief economics in the both Akala and Lamina projects. So I'm not only majored, you know, in economic research and mathematical research. Also, I've always been interested in technology. So I've been involved in technology startups and a variety of blockchain projects, including token economic designs. Okay, great. So we're going to kind of go over like DeFi and Laminar and Akala uh, separately. So to start from like a very high level, like what, how do you define DeFi and how does it compare to like more mature financial markets? So I think DeFi is pretty much like the um, a set of um, finance-related smart contract running top of blockchain. Like either it's called a smart contract or a specified um, chain that's running on top of blockchain in a in distributed ledger. So there's some very unique aspect of DeFi. Uh, we can call that trustless being number one unique aspect of DeFi. That means you don't need to ask anyone's permission um, to to enter or play with the financial system built on top of blockchain. Um, there's also that's like uh, transparent that you can pretty much um, be sure that the rule is set and everything that you play, um, that you are trying to interact, will be governed by the set that, the, the rule that you agree to. So I think that's very um, unique. And regardless uh, of all these unique aspect features, I think it's still pretty much the same with um, traditional finance. So whatever that's available on traditional finance right now, they could be available on the blockchain and they could become DeFi at some stage. Yeah, so like that kind of leads to another question. That like there's not just the transparency aspect, but also the complexity. And so like, I mean, we've seen a lot of problems in the traditional financial system with like exploitation and you know, like part of that is due to the opaqueness of it um, and kind of how it's closed off. But also, like, trading is by nature a zero-sum game. Like, anytime somebody wins, somebody else loses. And so even if these protocols like are transparent, they could still be incredibly complex. So, like, how, how does DeFi end up being better or, like, more fair than, say, the traditional financial uh, system? Well, I think that um, we have some sort of faith on the traditional finance system. Like before we talk about DeFi, what we currently have on the traditional finance system, I mean, people, people talk about that, hey, it cannot fail or it's because it's been working like that and people get used to the idea of the traditional finance, like everything's opaque and in a black box. People assume that it's going to continue to behave and work. But I don't think that's the case. Um, a number of times that we see the traditional finance failed, like the... 
the subprime mortgage uh, crisis that we have, that's completely one of the, the failure of the traditional finance. That's maybe that we can compare that to what we, that we happen on the DeFi space. But my point of view is that on tra- traditional finance, uh, simply because it works and it works to a certain degree that people get used to, it doesn't make sure, it doesn't mean that it's going to work forever. It doesn't mean that it's the best solution out there. And DeFi, on the other way, while ensuring that um, everyone is transparent, everyone is, um, is, is bound by the rule that's set by the, by the protocol, um, still there's some other factor of risky. Um, there's some other risky factor out there, such as like there might be programming bug. I mean, we are still in a in very immature, in the early stage of DeFi. And those sort of problems is... Uh, is ought to be happen, but I think those problems can be solved. Like um, if a DeFi protocol this bug, and if there's like um, performance issue, those through time can be improved and can be solved. And I think the key point is that uh, if you look at the traditional finance and DeFi right now, there's not much room for improvement on the traditional finance side. You just can't tell the traditional finance um, institute to open up and be transparent. Um, those is just can't, and there's no way you can enforce a rule to say that you gotta play by that rule. But on the DeFi, although it's currently is complicated, it is um, there's a lot of um, risk um, in terms of like the program bug or things like that. The room for improvement is huge, and it also does not discriminate. Um, like there's a lot of stuff that we can see the glimpse of light if we think about that, and this is the future of the finance. Yeah, so like besides just replicating traditional finance into DeFi, um, mm-hmm. and like I think I'm going to cover the decentralized sovereign wealth fund stuff at the end. Mm-hmm. But like besides that, um, what kind of what kind of room do you see for completely new things? So like not just replicating what exists now, but like what kind of new things become possible uh, with blockchain? Well, I think there's uh, there's quite a number of those, and we are still like in the tip of the on the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of I, I believe there's a lot of um, exciting stuff that uh, developers or develop or, or, or programmer they're gonna invent or they're gonna find out once this space getting more mature. But for now, there's one example that I would like to see that's uh, very very interesting. Um, that's already happening right now on the DeFi space is that. Uh, your money can be in both places and it, your money could be in multiple places. So think about what currently there's like DAI, uh, there's CDAI, uh, which generally by the compound protocol, right? Um, and if you have DAI uh, in the compound protocol, you get a receipt of your DAI and that's CDAI. And that CDAI is as good as the DAI that you put in, but it's like the, the interest bearing part of the, the your of your your deposit. And those, those is as good as money and it could be in other places. Um, and to use that example, um, in the synthetic asset trading protocol they were currently implementing, on the, on the Ethereum part they were currently implementing, we are actually accepting CDI as sort of a currency for you to trade. That means while you are trading, um, your money is still in the bank earning interest. And that's something very, very new if you compare that to like the traditional offering from those traditional conventional uh, finance institutes because it's not running like each company have different set of rules there's not like one ledger one trust list trust list ledger to connect all these institutes this short of possibility is very very hard on the traditional finance side but we can already see those is like possible and very viable on the DeFi side and this is just one of the example that I think it's very fascinating that your money could be in, most, in multiple places and doing multiple things at the same time yeah, uh, Antonia, like as an economist, maybe you have an opinion on this too? 
Yeah, sure. First of all, I'm also very fascinated about how money is defined differently in the blockchain world. For say, in our Lamina protocol, you see, we people can do forex tradings. Like through margin or through synthetic asset tradings, for example, like what you commonly say, Euro USD. Okay, in the traditional world, if you want to do such trading, you have to go to a broker and make your deposit of your fee and money. And once you deposit this money through, for say, bank transfer to that broker or bank, you can't do anything with your money. You don't earn interest. You know that money is like. Can be only secured for the margin trading, but if you do it through Lamina, regardless if it's through Ethereum or Polkadot in the future, your money, as Ray said, can still be used. You know, like earning interest through a lending platform, rather than you know only be used and bonded to the trading itself. So it's something absolutely new to the whole finance world. Your money is not only a tool for trading; it actually comes with certain sort of investment value. Yeah, I think to echo that, there's also another cases that might be very interesting. Is that、um, on the Arcala protocol that we are developing, there's also this stake liquidity protocol、um, to enable you to have like stake dots and free the liquidity of your stake dots and able to get like some of the liquid dots that we call that. And like your money could be in both places, and also your money would also become voting power. Like because we designed the protocol the way that we think、um, this protocol should be governed and operated by the dot、uh, holder that actually sticks through this protocol. So we also write the governance po-、um, process as like the more L dot that you hold, the more say you have on this、um, on this network. So this is like the other way of like your money could be in, in multiple places doing multiple things. And those is like in, on the conventional world, on the kind of conventional finance world. Those is the stuff that we dream about every day, but it's very hard to achieve. Yeah,、um, I think like, we, we should talk about that more. Like when we get into like laminar and parachains and stuff, it's it's not just money, but you know you're taking it one step further into the other other things that you can do with it. So like in that direction, like you know, like both on laminar, but just in DeFi ecosystem in general, like what kind of limitations do you see it facing right now? First, I think the first challenge will be definitely performance. I mean, especially that is especially true if you are building a DeFi protocol.、Uh, I think、uh, we all realize what happened、uh, in the Black Friday when Ether price crashed and make it out becoming insolvent.、Um, I think the fundamental problem of that is that hey, the underlying ledger Ethereum itself、um, is limited to X amount of transaction per second, and、um, I actually wrote a blog post to say that hey, the Performance of the underlying ledger actually limits how much risk that the DeFi application can take. That、um, building on top of that, and this is like one of the challenges that we're we're we facing right now is actually the performance of the ledger. That translates to into the、um, application that we are working on. Like the faster the underlying ledger is able to consent to a set of data, the better price fit it would be, the better trading experience would be. Um, and that ultimately end up to be like、um, a better off for everyone. So that's the first challenge we are facing is the performance of the underlying ledger.、Um, if you think about、um, Ethereum today, it has a very very limited throughput, yet it is enough to support an a very very large scale of DeFi or derivative finance on top of that. But that's just on the、uh, just the, the the beginning, just like the the tip of the iceberg. Think about that. If you are able to solve this underlying performance issue. 
um, all sorts of other variety of product could become possible. Um, that's the, the first challenge. And the other challenge they were facing today is definitely like the usability um, issue. I think that pretty much everyone that's working on the blockchain space is some sort of a nerd or very like some sort of engineer. So the product that we come up today might sound um, reasonable or might sound usable from an engineer's point of view. But still, for a complete outsider that's uh, never heard of blockchain before, it's still not very user-friendly. Like for someone, if I have to educate someone about this is your seat phase, this is how you secure yourself, those is like a very, very big barrier uh, to entry to this market. So this is definitely another challenge they are facing. And ultimately, they also, the final challenge will be like, how this set of DeFi or all this sort of amazing thing happening on the, re- on the blockchain connect to the real world. Like if I want to transfer, if I simply want to fly somewhere, I can easily convert my money into the blockchain world and convert those money back. I mean, ultimately, we'll probably see everyone using their money on blockchain. But in this transitional period, how do we enable like a seamless transition between fiat currency and crypto? Um, those is still um, another very, very challenging task for us. I mean, it just sounds like there needs to be an expansion of tools, right? Because you already have like some of these primitives, like say DAI and Compound that can interact with mm-hmm. each other. But then you need mm-hmm. also to interact with like some identity layer and some like Oracle layer and, you know, and like some on and off ramp layer. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yes, yes. And I don't, I don't think, I mean, at, at some stage, ultimately we need some sort of like the on-ramp or off-ramp layer. Um, the Oracle layer or the identity layer, I don't think they are that much um, important. I mean, ultimately if we believe in a truly decentralized world. I mean, all the, all the on-chain um, exchange, all the, those um, decentralized exchanges, they could be like pretty solid Oracle. But it's, this, in this transitional period, we need this sort of like scaffolding to get us to the ultimate goal. Yeah, I mean, like, the interesting thing with oracles, um, and this is maybe, like, a little bit off-topic, but, you know, like, everything that goes on a blockchain kind of has to be deterministic, but, you know, the real world is not deterministic. Like, it's stochastic, and so I, I think that's kind of, like, the the root of the problem is, like, how do you take this, like, stochastic world and actually make it integrate with a deterministic blockchain? Well, actually, like, if everything happened on top of a blockchain, you don't probably need Oracle because all the source, all the tools are already on, on the blockchain. I mean, ultimately, we will, I think we'll get there. But um, for now, I mean, if you look at Uniswap, that's already a glimpse of light of what you see the future of a decentralized Oracle would be. Like, this is like a decentralized exchange built-in with automatic, uh, automatic market-making. Um, and the price fit out of um, Uniswap is already very, very solid and very, very sensor-resistant, right? Yeah, so like, let's start going to like uh, Laminar's protocol specifically. Um, and I know mm-hmm. like, so you you published I think in September that you were you had three protocols: uh, margin trading, synthetic assets, and integrated money markets. You just said earlier today that uh, you're focusing on synthetic assets, but are you still doing all three of those? Yeah, of course, we're still doing all uh, doing all three of those. I would just call that synthetic asset in general because you can trade a synthetic asset in either one-to-one or in a leveraged way, and that's what we call margin protocol. I think that the easy description of what um, Lamina is doing is that if there's any reputable um, price fit for a, a reputable asset in the real world, we can decentralize it and make it available on the blockchain. So we're adding more variety on the blockchain world. Um, and everyone can trade, everyone can become a liquidity provider um, as well. So it's like an, an complete trustless system. There's no um, entry or exit barrier for you to get into. Can you uh, explain, like, 
each of these three protocols because um, I read a little bit of the papers um, and they get mm-hmm. very math and research heavy pretty fast. Um, yeah. And so maybe Antonia, like you can help a little bit here. Can you break down like each one of these, the margin trading, synthetic assets and money markets and like kind of the goal of each one? Yeah, sure. Uh, basically, as Rital has introduced, synthetic means, you know, it's sort of like mirroring what you have already seen in the traditional financial market. Firstly, one of the biggest ones is Forex. So the currency exchanges, as well as, you know, like stock and gold and silver, that sort of stuff. Basically, you can imagine Laminar is providing, um, like a protocol for a Double side market. So on one side, we have banks, brokers, you know, who do those sort of trading for the traditional financial, you know, traders. The other side could be individual traders who are interested in taking advantage of, you know, forex trading or other stock and stuff or the other like companies for say like importers, exporters who have needs for forex tradings and they could also come in and play. So instead of trading off-chain traditionally with another broker, someone could easily, you know, if they own cryptocurrency, they could trade with us instead. So for our uh, spot part, which is one-to-one, so for example, someone, you know, we would accept payments in U.S. stablecoin, and we could issue, as you can see in the white paper, a stablecoin sort of euro, because this special euro, we call it uh, F-euro token, is being minted based on the U.S. stablecoin you deposit into the protocol. So anytime when you try to return the F-euro token back to us, you could get your U.S. stablecoin back according to the current market rate. That means that F-euro token effectively acts as a, a euro stablecoin because Every time when you try to return the F-Euro token back to Lamina protocol, you could get effectively the same values of USD stablecoin back according to the current EURUSD market rate. And that's one-to-one a spot exchange. We also support margin trading. So there's another part of our protocol. Sorry to interrupt you, but on the... Synthetic asset, like just if I understand this correctly, um, it would let you, you know, like if you have a U.S. dollar or stable coin, it would kind of let you operate. Say, say you need to buy something uh, from someone who only accepts euro stable coins um, or like yen stable coins. This would let you take one stable coin, but be able to convert that to other stable coins, um, just like you would in say the real world or the off-chain world. <laughs> yeah, I think it's more reasonable to say that it's like you can mint, um, you can mint stable coin. Um, you can make uh, our flow stablecoin by using your own US dollar stablecoin as collateral, and you can mix euro stablecoin. Okay. Easier. Yeah, that's more clear. Um, actually, I mean, the, the, the way to, to emphasize here is that, hey, um, in, in the traditional world, those liquidity providers or those brokers, they are black box. You don't know what they are doing, and you could lose your money. But through our protocol, you can trade with confidence. And you don't actually need to know who they are because they are governed by the smart contract. They are governed by the blockchain rule. So that's like provided like fair game for everyone. So when it comes to actually implementing these protocols, do you see them all going on a single chain, or will they, like each protocol require its own blockchain? 
Well, currently on Ethereum, um, it's all on one single chain, right? And it's the de- design of the Ethereum that every set of protocol have their set of um, smart contract and yeah. they are interconnected if they co- all come from to some sort of um, interface. Uh, ERC20 being one of the most popular interface, like if, you, if our token come from to that, um, then that is like um, interoperable uh, between all the smart contracts. Um, however, on the, on the Polkadot side, we think it's going to be slightly different. On the Polkadot side, we think some of the major uh, protocols, such as stable coins, such as privacy coin, there might be some bridges. Those would have their own very well customized designed chain. And then on top of those well very customized design chain, there might be some very let's say like some smaller scale smart contract type of dApps that will be developed on top of those projects. I think that's the vision that we think is gonna evolve for the Polkadot design. Like when you design your chains to go on Polkadot, Polkadot has a very different security model than like say a standalone blockchain or a contract on Ethereum. So how did that affect your token design? Uh, Or I guess first of all, like um, what kind of native tokens do the Laminar protocols have? Yeah, I think we, uh, we can start to talk about um, the Arcala token a little bit because we already have a pretty much solid design of the Arcala token. And if we are talking about how the um, Polkadot model, how the Parachance model is going to different um, from the Ethereum model, um, I have a, a lot of um, insight to share. So on Ethereum, you are pretty much set to bow to the underlying ledger rules that's set up by Ethereum. So whatever smart contract you come up with, um, all the transaction, all the consensus algorithm, all the fee models, those are from the Ethereum side still applies. So that means that um, if you look at MakerDAO right now, um, if you have die and if you need to transfer those dies, you still have to pay ETH as gas fee. And I don't think this model is going to change even for Ethereum 2.0, this model is going to stay. So um, that's what we call like Ethereum is like a same sort of shard um, across different shard. So in terms of like if you're designing this shard of um, protocol on Ethereum, there's some creative way to think about how the actual value of your protocol is going to reflect in terms of your value of your token. So if you look at Megadow's model, uh, they pretty much have a buyback model of like, hey, whatever profit this protocol generates is to buy back Megadow token and destroy it to pretty much like giving dividend to all the existing uh, Megadow uh, token holders. Um, so those is pretty much one of the way to achieve uh, like an, an incentive for people to holding um, to tokens. There's also um, some other protocol have this sort of like usage model, which is like if you want to transact in, in our protocol, you need to pay for X amount of the native token for that particular protocol. But again, this is very um, counterintuitive as well, that you have to pay for ETH gas fee, and you have to, on top of that, you also need to pay for some protocol fee. So um, this is good. Um, however, we think um, there could be a lot of um, uh, flexibility if you are able to give given uh, more customization to do in, if you are developing a smart contract or developing a dApp. So um, that's very different. It, if you want to build something on top of Polkadot. So Polkadot is pretty much have this shared security model. That means that you would have the full customizability of whatever smart contract or dApp or chain they were building. As long as you connect it to Polkadot and as long as the, uh, the security is guaranteed by the Polkadot um, relay chain, then you pretty much have um, full customizability on how your own blockchain behave. So think about that. We can say that um, on our Alcala blockchain, um, this transaction fee can be paying multiple ways. 
So it can be paid in ACA token, that which is the native token of the Alcala chain. It can also be paid with AUSD, which is the stablecoin of this Alcala chain. And they, they give us a lot of flexibility in terms of we think about how we design our native tokens. Uh, it means that the user doesn't have to actually hold our native token to actually use this network. They can just hold AUSD with the stablecoin to use this network. But ultimately, all the value can still be reflected in our token. The one unique aspect of um, this shared security model um, is like, how do you get a project slot? Like, how do you get a shot in this um, relay chain? And this, um, the, the project auction comes into play. So that means that if you have a project and if you can convince enough supporter to bond their dot for you, um, they, will, they will bond their dot um, to support you to gain a project slot. How do you give back those supporters? How do you uh, give back value to those um, dot holders that bond your power chain? So what we come up with is the model that um, issue you the native token of, the, of our power chain in a curve, uh, in a per block basis, um, as like inches pay for your bound dot, and they'll be generated per block um, as reward. So that's one of the reward you can get on, on our power chain. Um, there's also, you can also run an operator, you can run a project and collector, and that's something we need to think about when we're designing on Polkadot as well. Because on Ethereum, you don't pretty much um, need to worry about miners. But on the Polkadot, if you want to secure, you don't actually have to secure a network, but if you want to make sure your network is live and available for use, you need to some sort of incentive to keep some collector running. They are not responsible for your security, but they will be responsible for the liveness of the network. And some of the token will be rewarded too for those um, uh, collector operators as well. Um, and we can start to think about how we can reflect the value of this network in terms of the native token. So we can, uh, there's a lot of ideas like the transition fee can ultimately be collected and be generated um, uh, and be reflected in the native token or things like that. So I think that pretty much lie out the difference between like designing a project and designing a smart contract on, on, on Ethereum. So yeah, you're going to do a dual launch. So you're going to be supporting both like Ethereum smart contracts and launching a parachain on Polkadot. What does that launch process look like for you guys? So pretty much we're gonna, uh, we, we have come up with a, with a protocol, right? So that's the rule of the game. Like how do you actually play this game? So um, now we have this protocol, we can design it in both Ethereum, we can also implement it on Polkadot. And let's face it, um, Ethereum is currently live and there's some um, a, a community of traders available on Ethereum right now. And there's actually not very, very complicated for us to implement um, our protocol on Ethereum and implement it and deploy that on the Ethereum mainnet. So. On Ethereum, what we will be using is as using the DAI as the, the base currency um, and just operate it as any other traditional or any other normal um, DAP would do, like by deploying a set of smart contract. People can already uh, interact uh, with our protocol um, the, the day that we go live. Um, the plan for our Ethereum launch should be um, we need to deploy this set of smart contract, we need to get our security audits, and we need to inject the initial liquidity needed um, to bootstrap the ecosystem, to bootstrap this protocol. Um, we already have a number of liquidity providers that they are interested in offering different set of instruments um, for trading on both platforms. So we think uh, we might be a very, very close to offer a set of um, very unique um, instruments on the Ethereum blockchain, in, maybe in the next few weeks. So they would be like Euro, they would be like Gold, they would be like Crude Oil. Um, so pretty much everything um, that's popular right now, we're going to offer them as the initial set of um, 
uh, of products is so available. So both currencies and commodities? Yes. Um, just pretty much everything that's popular and can be speculated, we're going to offer that, right? So we're targeting um, the current existing Ethereum users as long as they hold die, they have MetaMask, they can trade pretty much trade straight away. I mean, the, the initial plan for Ethereum is that uh, we're going to launch um, the, after we go through all this launch process, we're going to inject probably like a million or two million worth of um, contract fuelable liquidity and to bootstrap this, um, this protocol. Um, to let people to trade. On the Polkadot side, um, um, because we are able to fully customize um, this uh, chain in our own uh, requirement while maintaining security, uh, we maybe do it uh, in a different way than we would do on Ethereum. So on Ethereum, uh, people are bound to the underlying gas fee that's payable in, in, in Ethereum. That's also bound to the performance of the Ethereum ledger, which means that the spread might be slightly bigger on the Ethereum chain. So on the Polkadot chain, what we design is, uh, what we might come up with is that, hey, uh, because it has a much higher performance, the pricing, pricing spread will be uh, significantly better. And because uh, we can pretty much customize um, the, the, the fee model, we can maybe even enable free trading as long as you have some liquidity deposit in. So those is like um, very, very different from the, what we'll be offering from Ethereum. But Ultimately, I think the main difference between Ethereum and Polkadot is will be down to pricing. And the reason that down to pricing is because I said uh, earlier, um, the better the underlying performance um, ledger is going to be, the, the better pricing we are able to offer. Yeah, so like, what does your actual parachain launch look like? like how, does, how do you go from designing your chain to like going into the, like what's your strategy for going into the parachain auction? Uh, actually, like if you go into this Polkadot um, power chain or power straight economy, there's like a number of ways that we can take. Um, this you can either have a power chain slot, you can lease a power chain slot for X amount of month. Uh, if you can convince enough dot holder to to support you, um, or you can just um, purchase your own set of dots and to bound um, those for your own power chain. Um, there's also power thread. That's like, hey, um, you can pay as you go. That's pretty much like the traditional, like the conventional Ethereum way of paying gas fee. You can even collect those gas fee from the, 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 the user that interacting with your dApp. Um, and that's like the Ethereum's way. So we pretty much um, haven't quite decided that we do we want to go with ProChain or do we go want to go with ProStrat as Lamina. Um, we will probably start from going from project first, and then um, at some stage when we need to scale up, we will then attract more dot holders and more capital to secure us a project slot. Um, the other requirement for us to go live on Polkadot is that we also need some sort of like base currency to trade with, right? So there's like stable coin we need to trade with. Uh, we foresee there will be a variety of stable coin that we're able to tap into on the Polkadot ecosystem. Um, and so we need to wait um, till this sort of stable coin is ready on the Polkadot um, ecosystem before we can scale up our um, Lamina protocol on uh, the Lamina power chain on Polkadot. This wraps up part one of a two-part episode with Rui Tao Xu and Antonia Chen from Laminar Network. In the next episode, we're going to talk about the Akala Network and Decentralized Sovereign Wealth Fund and how it makes their parachain sustainable. Thanks for listening to Relay Chain. We'd love to keep in touch. Follow us on Twitter at Relay Chain or email podcast at parity.io. Our team at Parity includes some of the leading peer-to-peer networking developers, consensus algorithm inventors, blockchain innovators, and Rust developers. If you want to learn more about our work or want to work with us, visit our website at parity.io and sign up for our newsletter at parity.io newsletter. 